Welcome to the Fit Money Podcast, where we'll discuss something that we all need throughout our entire life, financial literacy, but also asking the tough question, why aren't students learning it? Financial literacy is more than the math, and a behavior will need beyond the classroom. So we're learning how we can help students, families, and teachers build a new generation of financially fit students everywhere. On today's episode, Fit Money Executive Director Jessica Pelletier sits down with the founder of Till, Taylor Burton, to discuss his mission to build smarter spenders by providing debit cards for teens. Jessica and Taylor discuss the importance of educating students young, trusting them to practice making their own financial decisions, and the responsibilities that ourselves and institutions have to empower them with the financial literacy skills that they need. Hi, Taylor. So nice to see you again. What's going on, Jessica? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So you and I have talked a great bit about financial literacy, and I think we share a, a commonality that this, without a doubt, should be in schools. But until that time, you have come up with a, a great solution, and I'd love to hear more about it for teaching kids financial literacy. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important to highlight that alignment on this should be in schools. It should be a part of a really just everyday conversation. So Schools, extracurriculars, family discussions, friend discussions. Um, you know, I think it's an area where we've created an unnecessary taboo around. Um, and I think that that really does young people and in, in the up next consumers uh, a large disservice. So um, couldn't have more alignment with you on that. Absolutely. You know, that is such a great point, the, the taboo about money. And I, I agree with you completely. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's a, a little bit of a misconception about where we are as a society from a socioeconomic and mobility perspective. Um, you know, you're not necessarily being pushed into a bucket based off of where your parents were in the socioeconomic ladder. Um, the mobility is much more flexible with education availability, government programs, et cetera. And I think it's just been this area where people were uncomfortable communicating about it. And a large part of that comes back to maybe some of the parents' own, you know, issues with understanding how finances work. So how can I possibly teach my kids or how can I possibly teach my class when I don't have my own, um, you know, hard-coded roots and understanding uh, what it is to be successful? So Fit Money, as you know, we provide curricula directly for teachers to, to teach lessons in school starting in kindergarten all the way up to 12th grade. And we see that the teachers come to us with a real concern that they are not the best person to be teaching this because, you know, the average teacher, you know, younger in their twenties and thirties, and they never got financial literacy in schools. So I think it's super important that we can, can give them that, that development, but talk to me a little bit about Till and how you are going to try to bridge that gap between that you know, uncomfortable conversations at home that hopefully can start to to bring conversations about money more into the common day. Yeah, I'd, I'd go back before even diving into Till and, and touch on briefly the the comment you made about teachers not thinking they're the right person. Um, at the end of the day, talking about it broadly and in general is the right thing to do. Um, I agree. Just starting, and that's kind of what Till tries to do. Just get the conversation going. There's this huge misconception that being financially literate means you have to be rich. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think that actually teachers are a good example of this. Teachers do not get paid a ton of money. They are not rich by U.S. standards, right? You're not talking about um, a second grade through fifth grade teacher being in the top, you know, one percenters of America. Um, but they still pay bills on a month to month basis. They still own homes, drive cars that they own or lease, um, and actually go through some of the daily things that these young people are going to face as they graduate and leave the household. So you know, I think that when you take a, a step back and you say, how can you, f- you first start? It's with the basics, right? We're making huge assumptions that kids know how to pay for things at checkout, um, that they know how to save for um, something that they want or need. Um, and that they can plan for the future, sometimes multi-years out. And the the root of all of that, I think, really comes with your first debit checking experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when I was a kid, it, it used to mean going into a bank and and getting the checkbook and and kind of setting things up with your parents, typically the bank that your parents banked at. And I think that with the advancement in financial technology, the malleability of platforms at our fingertips, specifically on your mobile device, we're in a world where that can be set up in five minutes from your home and that discussion can happen right there at the kitchen table. Um, so it's a really exciting opportunity and one of the the things that that really kick, kind of kickstarted our journey here with Till. Yeah, you mentioned, you know, the kind of experience of that child going into the bank. Perhaps they bring their piggy bank for the first time. They get that savings account. If they're lucky, they get that, you know, checking account. So I think that's traditionally where we've thought, that was the institution that was responsible for financial literacy. You know, your bank was in charge of teaching you how you were going to use all of these tools. But I think we are fortunate now that we are taking that step back and say, before you even get to the functionality of, you know, the savings accounts and all these great resources, let's talk about those foundational principles of those needs and wants and, and whatnot. I think that's so important. So, you know, how do you see that area of what financial institutions are, are trying to do of not just teaching about the product, but also how you use that and how you be, create that behavioral kind of healthy habit? Sure. Well, I think that there's a huge disconnect um, between reality and, and you know, what was meant to be done. Um, you know, you got to remember a, a large bank, a macro bank, so a Wells Fargo or a Chase, they're servicing customers from eight years old to 80. Um, and if you or your partner or spouse um, are banking together on a platform, you should know that from a collaborative experience perspective, it's pretty terrible, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard to service that broad of a demographic and do it well. And traditionally, these larger banks have looked at, at young people as you know, non-profitable customers. So to think that we should just pass off our kids' financial education to someone that is a commercial entity that doesn't really have a ton of... Um, you know, reasons to support this consumer yet because, hey, they're going to catch them down the line anyways, um, I think is setting us up for failure. Um, and I think that, you know, we've, we've really pushed this out of schools because of the different socioeconomic backgrounds amongst the kids. But that doesn't mean we can't talk about the basics. And, and you talked about some of them of, you know, things like transactions, debit checking and savings accounts. Those are some of the baseline things that I think that as we are able to start those conversations earlier, we're going to really give our kids a leg up and an advantage in life. And, you know, I think that one of the things that we talk a lot here at Till about is, is 
what are the different life stages, you know, at, at each kind of cohort of kids? So while we don't claim to have all the answers, I think that there's been a really great uh, amount of research done in this space that, that shows that kids as young as four and five understand some of the basic concepts behind money. Um, but when it comes to introducing a debit and checking product um, and getting a little bit more advanced uh, to where the kids are actually starting to control some of that spend, we think that a great time um, to introduce that is, is right around when your young person gets their first cell phone. So anywhere from 10 to 12 years old um, is what we typically see the success. And then I think that there's another big life moment that happens right around 16. So when you're getting your driver's license and you're getting more freedom and autonomy, that's when it's time for parents to start to loosen those reins a little bit more even. We like to see monthly reoccurring bills starting to be added to those debit checking accounts at that point. So your streaming service, your cell phone, really great one in, in your car insurance, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. All the things that you're going to be expected to tackle at launch, whether it's 18 through 24, depending on your family. And then I think there is launch, right? And, and that's that block of I'm now leaving the household. I've probably got direct deposit for my job set up. I'm starting to deal with more money and paying things like rent, et cetera, and larger ticket items. I think that the, the thing that most parents don't think about is if all we've done is teach our kids to save until they get to that juncture in life, they're going to be really, you know, <laughs> unequipped in, uh, to go out and, and enter the economy the way that it's set up today, which is very much a spending economy, almost like a zero sums game until this, this young person is in their late 20s. So that's, I think, all of those different life stages are really difficult for a large macro institution to take into account and plan for if their customers are eight to 80, you know, until we're just focused on servicing them, you know, when they're in the household, they're in the family and you need that collaborative banking experience. And, and that's what we've seen really work for our kids so far and, and where we'll continue to play. I love that analogy. You know, it makes me think of the, you know, parents who are super strict, you know, you can't, you know, watch TV past a certain time. You can't, your curfew so early and and you don't let them, you know, kids kind of explore what they can do. And so that they become 18 and all of a sudden they're, you know, in college and perhaps go wild. So I love that if you're only teaching them to save, they could have a potential on the back end of, you know, getting that first credit card when they're 18. And boy, that adds up real fast. And, and before you know it, you've, you know, maxed out the balance and you have no plan, you know, for, for how you're going to spend that. So that's yeah, credit a, that's card a... companies love to give these kids cards. Boy, right? did they ever. Reason, right? like, <laughs> let's go. Um, but I also think it's important too. like, let's not like create an environment where these young people are afraid of debt. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm from the Midwest, you know, Traverse City, Michigan. Um, you know, people in my community sleep with money under their mattress. That's also mm -hmm. not the way. Right. right. Um, it's important to understand the financial tools available to you and to leverage them based off of the life stage you're in. And and again, a lot of that comes back to having the conversation, just starting it is enough. I think Fidelity did a, a research study that showed if a young person saves even $50 towards their college education, they're 90% more likely to go. I mean, you could take that type of learning across multiple areas mm -hmm. within the early education and financial infrastructure and really see that, that push you towards wanting to talk to your kids even before they get a cell phone uh, about financial literacy. It's that skin in the game conversation. It's why I, I get really excited to see, you know, kids that start working. You know, I mean, these in, I'm in Massachusetts. If it's 14, you can get your working papers. And I'm not saying rush your kids out the door to, you know, uh, to instead of doing school-based things. But I think it's really important to understand where that dollar comes from. And, 
And even with my kids, you know, when they actually earn that dollar, they're not quite as quick to run to Target to it's spend funny, it. Right? <laughs> when it's when it's their money, it's always strange. We, we always say earn and learn, right? Um, and I think that, you know, that's why we've built features like direct deposit, um, you know, community-based funding where, you know, grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, next door neighbor you're mowing the lawn for can push you funds um, into your till account. Um, but I think that there's going to be, you know, even more amalgamations of how that plays out within our user experience that we'll add over time to really try to unlock what you're talking about, which is let's just give these kids the experience mm-hmm. to go out, earn their own money. And so that they think about it maybe in a little bit more of a serious way than if it's just the endless bank of mom and dad. Yeah. It, the experiential learning, I think, has proved time and time again that that's really one of the best ways to learn. Yep. And if you can do it in a safe way before you get that you know, $2,000 loaded up credit card bill and, and yep. whatnot. So I, I love the model. Um, talk to me a little bit how you how you outreach to parents, because I yeah. still think this is fairly new and, and that they maybe are a little bit wary of financial institutions these days. Yeah, no, I th- and I think that that's a great transition from from what we were just talking about. Um, you know, I think that a lot of the, the neobanks, so a lot of the upstart banks, if you will, so your non-traditional institutions like Till, like Chime, like N26 and others, um, they've typically put a really heavy emphasis on paid media acquisition. And basically what that would mean is, is I, you know, I as a business, I'm going out and running ads about our product across Facebook and Instagram, you know, potentially television um, and other OTT type properties. Um, and I'm, you know, I get six seconds to give you my message, maybe even less, uh, depending on the attention span of, of the viewer. Um, you know, and I think that that creates some misalignment from not only an onboarding perspective, but also your ability as a platform to deliver the message and the solve that you're providing for said family. And what that does is it creates, you know, unequal user engagement for what we actually want to see happen. So you get like the kind of like the quick kidding, I'm going to throw up a savings account, get a card in my hand, call it a day. Um, that's not Till's strategy. Um, we believe, you know, very much like Vet Money in partnering with large organizations that already have a relationship with the family. Um, a good example is a company out of Boston called Education First. Um, they run a, you know, one of the largest domestic travel businesses for junior high and high school, um, school uh, junior high and high school aged kids in the U.S. So think your eighth grade Washington D.C. trip, EF probably runs it. Um, to date, they had typically given out per diems for on-trip spending to go to museums, eat lunch, breakfast, dinner, whatever, in cash. And while that's a good kind of learning experience because you're getting cash in your hand and spending it, it's not really efficient from a trip perspective and also is, is not going to be really aligned with how these kids spend money moving forward as we shift towards a digital economy. And so what we did is we basically went in and partnered with EF. We digitized that per diem experience so that they could push funds to all the kids with one button. And then the kids would have their cards, both physical and digital. They could spend on the trip. They're learning really basic things um, with their tour directors, like how to how to tap to pay, how to use their phone to tap to pay, how to insert chip and pin into the POS system, uh, how to leave a tip when you don't leave a tip, um, <laughs> you know, and, and how to budget and make sure that your money goes as further for as po- farther as possible. Um, and it's you know we've we've sent you know well over eleven thousand travelers on trips just this past summer with till cards in their hands um, and rolling out, you know, commercially across their portfolio in 2023. And we'll continue to add partners like that. Um, And I think that it just gives you this really real life on hands, your hands-on learning experience that, um, that you just don't get if, if all you're doing is trying to acquire a customer online. 
Absolutely. I, I, we, we're the same here at Fit Money. We uh, are passionate about partners that just want to educate kids and give them that experiential uh, education. What do you see on perhaps a trip like that? What would be a, a perhaps a common mistake that you know a kid would make that Till is hoping that they can get get ahead of and, and avoid for the future? Yeah, NSF swipes, and not to get super technical, it's not a fancy word. It just means non-sufficient funds. So they've they've tried to buy something that they don't have enough money in their account for, right? When you get the reject at the register with all your friends standing around you um, in a non-controlled environment, that can be pretty embarrassing and actually kind of stressful, right? Mm-hmm. And especially for a 12-year-old, there's enough stuff to worry about um, you know, than, than having that moment happen at register. But within the environment at EF, all of these kids have the same amount of money. So it's a little bit of a level setting experience for them. Um, and so when they do get an NSF swipe, they know why the tour director is there to say, hey, you know, you had 15 bucks for lunch, but you spent 19 because <laughs> you didn't think about the fact that you were trying to give a tip too. So there's those types of experiences that happen. There's also like balance checking um, that we see the kids do quite a bit of. And then it's, you know, what what extra spending money do they have to, you know, buy the map of, of DC when before they're leaving? Or, you know, as, as we've heard from some of the tour directors attempting to buy a samurai sword that they want to try to fly with afterwards. <laughs> that That's also an embarrassing situation at TSA. <laughs> you're, you're, you're absolutely correct. <laughs> I love it. How how young can you be to get a, a till card? Yeah, so um, we can go as as young as when you're born, right? And we see a lot of parents setting these up for um, for their kids so that grandparents can put money into a college fund and things like that. Um, but our, our sweet spot is really when you get your cell phone. Um, we have a dual interface app one one app for the parent, one app for the kids. They look very similar as they should. Um, there's no rainbows and unicorns in our kids side of the app. You know, it's very similar to Netflix. The experience is the same. Kids are better at technology than we are at picking it up and understanding it. And we want it to feel like a grown-up adult experience for them. I think it makes them take it more seriously. Um, but that's typically when we see kids come in at, at right around that kind of between 10 and, and 13 years old. It's a great time. I have an 8-year-old and an 11-year-old, and uh, they are just so not only technologically savvy, but they already have a very determined relationship with money. So, yeah, and, and uh, Jessica, this is one of the things that that happens, though, right? I have two two daughters. I have a two and a half year old and a one and a half year old, and we look at them and we kind of almost like like decrease the age we think they are, and then they do stuff, and we're like, oh my gosh, I can't yeah. believe you can do that. Um, financial literacy and, and talking about you know personal finance with our kids is really hampered by that fact. It's like you think your kids always going to be little forever. And then all of a sudden they're leaving your house, right? It happens in the blink of an eye. And I think that, you know, as time goes on, as parents get more confident in the tool sets and skills that are available um, for them as a resource, whether it's fit money programming, whether it's till from a functionality perspective, um, I think that there's just a lot of opportunity to benchmark based off of what other parents in your peer group are doing. And that's where we see a lot of pickup. And again, why we typically attach ourselves to larger you know, family, affinity, school, Mm -hmm. extracurricular organizations. Taylor, thanks so much for coming on and talking with me today. It's, It's our goal to just get more of this out there, to get people more comfortable talking about money, kind of get this in the water as, as one of my board members said. So, uh, you're, you're fighting the good fight and, uh, really great to hear from you today. Thanks so much, Jessica. Would love to just plug how parents can get involved. Um, We're available in the iOS and Google Play Store, so across both Apple and Android devices. Uh, We're free to download, free to sign up, and free to use. 
I think that that's one of the exciting parts about this is this is an app that's available for everyone. Um, so we can all start off on the same great foot when it comes to our financial journeys. Thank you for joining us today on the Fit Money Podcast. Whether you're a caregiver, teacher, or student yourself, there's plenty of great K-12 resources to begin or continue your financial literacy journey at fitmoney.org. Visit the show notes for more from today's guest and financial literacy activities for the classroom, at home, or on the go. We'll see you next time. And until then, happy learning, earning, and saving. The Fit Money Podcast is presented by Fit Money, the leading K-12 financial literacy curriculum, providing free, unbiased financial literacy resources. All opinions, products, and references during the show are not endorsed by Fit Money and are solely opinions of the individual. Fit Money does not claim any responsibility for external resources referenced during the episode. All Fit Money products and episodes are provided for educational purposes and are not professional advice.